Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. At the end of the last episode, I said that the next release would look at what happens if and when restroom operators or their staff are involved in road traffic accidents while at work. When I made that comment way back in July 2022, there had been a lot of posts on social media where restroom operators and septic pumpers had been involved in collisions while on their way to and from jobs. I originally started writing a script that covered that topic in one episode, but the more I got into it, the more I realised it was actually part of a much wider theme about safety at work, and I hadn't really covered that in the show. The more I wrote, the more I realised that I needed to cover. I started working on that script in July and August last year, and I haven't released an episode since. If I'm honest, I really struggled to put that script together, and I started to think that I'd bitten off more than I could chew. That's unusual for me because I've usually got something to say, and after going round and round in circles, I put the script down hoping that I'd find a way through the maze if I stepped away for a while. Well, a week turned into a month, turned into six months, until finally, here we are, ready to pick up the pieces and put them into an order that I hope will make some sense. I'd like to thank everyone who messaged or called while I was away to check that I was okay, and tell me that they missed Get Flushed. I'm fine and I'm back. If you're a long-time listener, you may have noticed that I've tidied up the show, I've removed some of the old ads, organised the episodes in consecutive numerical order, and got rid of the seasons. That makes admin a little bit easier, and hopefully allows you, the listener, to find your way around the back catalogue more easily. And if this is your first time listening to Get Flushed, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Hopefully, I've been able to use the time away productively, and I've done a few things that should translate directly into this and future episodes of the show. I'll probably tell you about those as we go along, but for now, let's get into this week's episode. It would be hard, if not impossible, to work as a portable restroom provider or septic pumper without driving or operating vehicles. The nature of the industry means that operators deliver restrooms to different sites, travel backwards and forwards to service those restrooms, haul away the waste, and go back to site to collect the restroom at the end of the job. The size and weight of restroom cabins means that you can't typically move them more than a few yards without a truck or trailer, and you certainly couldn't haul a tank load of septic waste to the treatment plant without using a vehicle. In a nutshell, utes, trucks and trailers are essential to the industry, and driving is an unavoidable part of every restroom operation. And that in itself presents a whole range of risk factors that I think we often underestimate. Things that we always assume will happen to someone else. According to the National Road Safety Partnership Programme, road traffic injuries are the eighth leading cause of death globally and the leading cause of death for young people aged 15 to 29. More than a million people die each year on the world's roads and the cost of dealing with the consequences of crashes runs to billions of dollars. Unless urgent action is taken, current trends suggest that by 2030, road traffic deaths will become the fifth leading cause of death worldwide. Now, faced with statistics like that, it's fair to say that driving for work and business represents a significant potential risk. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to spend the next few shows looking at what restroom providers could and should be doing to manage those risks in order to make driving and the use of vehicles at work as safe as possible. What I'm going to say over the next few episodes is based on more than 30 years' experience as a driver, manager and investigator. During that time, I've seen, recorded, cleaned up and investigated a lot of driving incidents. Most of them were minor bumps or scrapes where no one was hurt and there was relatively little damage to the vehicle or anything else. But some of them were quite serious. Some of the vehicles were written off and some caused significant damage to property. Others left people injured and sadly some resulted in the loss of life. 
I've taken the lessons that I've learned from all those incidents to produce this series of episodes. Now, none of what I'm going to say is intended as legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert in road traffic law in your jurisdiction. And of course, if you and your staff are involved in a serious incident while driving at work, you should always seek professional legal advice. As I said, this is a major topic and I'm going to break it down into six more manageable issues or themes. These are... Number one, the truck or trailer, specifically the size, type and design of the wagon and trailer you use at work. The driver, specifically their skills, qualifications, training and behaviour while on the road. Number three is compliance, the daily, weekly and monthly checks that every business could and should be doing if they operate a vehicle. Number four is repairs and maintenance, the never-ending story of how to keep your fleet on the road. Number five, accidents, or more precisely, what to do when an accident occurs. And this includes the immediate actions at the scene, as well as the post-incident procedures. And finally, I'm going to talk about dealing with outside agencies such as the police, insurers and the media in the event that an accident involving your work vehicles has occurred. Over the past six months, I've drawn each of these headings in a circle, a bit like the Olympic rings. I've used that model in the show before because it's a really useful one that helps me to see and explain the connections between the separate parts of a complex issue or theme. And as I've added the meat to the bones, it struck me that changing one dimension here will have a direct and possibly indirect effect on some or all of the other components. For example, if you buy a bigger truck, you'll need to make sure that your driver holds the correct license and has the correct skills to drive it. I won't say any more about that right now, but hopefully I'll be able to tease out those details and fit everything together in a way that makes sense. Which comes first, your truck or your driver? It's a bit like the chicken and the egg. I'm going to start with the truck because, well, that's the sexy part. Who doesn't love a great big shiny rig with all the bells and whistles, especially if your company's name and logo is in letters a yard high along the side? People with an interest in portable sanitation can generally spot a sanitation truck a mile off. They develop a spider sense that makes all the hairs on their neck stand up whenever they're within half a block of a fellow pumper. Even in peak hour traffic, you'll be able to pick out a single pumper truck four lanes over a mile ahead. You'll spot the bucket dangling off the outflow valve, the yellow hose strapped to the side of the tank, or the bag of blues tucked up against the headboard. In my city, there are 20 or so portable restroom providers. I can spot them a mile off and I can tell you that not one of them uses the same make, model, design or size of truck. Some use an integrated truck where the tank is permanently fixed to the chassis and the vacuum pump is powered by a power takeoff or PTO. Others prefer a skid-mounted or slide-in tank that's strapped or chained to the deck with a petrol-driven donkey motor to power the vacuum pumps and a 12-volt electric pump to provide fresh water. Some use a purpose-built truck, others have repurposed trucks they already had in their fleet, and one operator even tows his sliding tank on a tandem trailer behind his ute. I've driven a lot of different sanitation trucks, and yes, some of them were really good. They were great-looking trucks, well-designed, easy to operate, and properly equipped. But a lot of them could have been better, and well, one or two were absolute dogs that I wouldn't wish on my most fierce competitor. What made them so bad? Well... Often the deck's too high, the tank's poorly positioned so the valves and hose are hard to reach. Sometimes there's not enough storage so the driver has to cram everything in the cab and other times people have chosen a truck that's just not right for the job. It was too big for jobs on hills or in the city or too small for jobs out in the sticks and it didn't have the capacity to carry the weight of the full load in the tank. The bottom line here is that there is not an industry standard. There's not a one-size-fit-all bespoke design for portable sanitation trucks and tanks. If you've bought or joined an existing business, you're probably making do with whatever the last guy had. 
And there is one school of thought that the best vehicle for the job is the one you already own. You know how it works, you know how much it can carry, which means you know how many toilets you can clean before you have to dump. And you'll probably know its quirks and peculiarities, like you need to turn over on half choke if it's cold, or it won't start if you press the throttle before it fires. But if you do get the opportunity to buy a new truck, either brand new or secondhand, either to start your business, replace an older truck or expand your fleet, my sincere advice is to seek advice. Spend some time on this, do your due diligence, research as many options as you can, talk to the dealers, talk to your competitors, visit the trade shows, look on Google for reviews, involve your drivers and technicians, the people who are actually going to drive and use the truck. If they're already driving a truck, ask them what they love about it, what they hate and what they'd change. Don't treat this as a casual chat in the yard. Set some time aside to discuss this properly. Give your people time to think about it. And if you need to, bring in someone who can help them express their views. Most importantly, listen to what your drivers say. The absolute worst thing you could do is ask for their opinions and ideas and then buy something that represents the complete opposite of what they said. Okay, you may not be able to get everything they ask for, especially in the current market where options are limited and leading times for a spec to order could take up to 18 months. And you may not have the budget to get everything your staff want. If that's the case, tell them. They'll appreciate your honesty. When you do map out the specification for your next vehicle, base it on what you plan to be doing in two or three years' time, not what you're doing yesterday or today. Plan for future growth. If you currently have only 40 restrooms, you don't need a behemoth. But if you plan to move into large-scale events or grow your fleet, you'll need something bigger than a 50-gallon sliding tank. If you get this right now, your truck will most likely give you many happy years of fruitful service in return. On the other hand, a poor decision at this stage will definitely come back to haunt you. I've seen procurement decisions made by desk-based clerks at head office, people with flash job titles but no practical experience in the field. You find yourself on the wrong end of that situation and you'll end up with a lemon. I love driving and it's one of my true passions in life. I've been driving for over 40 years. I started on tractors at a local farm when I was a teenager, got my car license when I was 17 and my motorbike license when I was 22. I've got a truck license with pretty much all the endorsements and I've driven as many different makes and models of pickups, utes, light trucks, heavy trucks and motorcycles as I can imagine. I've driven four-speed manuals, split gearbox trucks, road rangers where you need to double declutch to change gear, full automatics that do everything except steer and semi-automatics that take so long to select the right gear that your whole life flashes before your eyes before you move away on a roundabout. Now I'm not going to pick out any particular makes or models to recommend or tell you to avoid, but in my opinion, some manufacturers produce vehicles that are simply much better to drive than others. I've come across four different types or sizes of trucks, and these are pretty general classifications. It's my way of describing the setups I've seen or used, and it's not meant to be a definitive list. But if you're using something different, come on the show and tell me all about it. The first one is a pickup or ute with a sliding tank or maybe even a trailer. Typical examples would be a Ford F-150 or a Dodge Ram. The second is a small city truck, less than six tons, something like an Isuzu Elf or Nissan Atlas. Third is a mid-sized truck, probably with a gross vehicle mass of eight or nine tons, something like an Isuzu N-Series, Hino FD or Fuso Canter. And lastly, heavy trucks that can weigh up to and over 18 tons and are usually run as a tank wagon capable of carrying 10 or 20,000 litres of waste. Models I've driven here in New Zealand are the Volvo FM or DAF 75. If I was looking to buy a brand new truck, two of the factors that would influence my decision in the current market are price and availability. In one of my previous episodes, Justin Lee spoke about some of the options you can consider when making a capital purchase for something like a vehicle. 
I know some operators like to own their vehicles outright and others like to lease. Either way, you should always shop around for the best deal. You might prefer to use the same broker you've always used, and if that's the case, that's fine. You've already got an established relationship, you trust them and they know your business. But you may also find that you get a better deal elsewhere, and I'm talking specifically about finance and lease options here. As I predicted way back at the end of 2020, inflation has hit new peaks we haven't seen for 30 or 40 years, and interest rates have definitely started to climb. That means it's going to cost you more to borrow money now than it did last year, and that's why you should shop around. There are still some good deals to be had. Why? Because manufacturers and dealers still need to move their stock. And in terms of availability, don't expect to walk into a dealership, choose your truck and drive away today. Lead times in the current climate are as long as 18 months. If I'm buying new, the make I choose is going to depend on the after-sales service and support as much as the price. Has the dealer got the facilities to service and repair the truck? Are the parts readily and locally available, either today or overnight? And is there a warranty and what does it cover? What does the internet say about this particular maker model? You'll find chat rooms and Facebook groups full of experts and opinions. I wouldn't rely on them for a definitive answer, but they'll give you a good idea of the issues that other owners and operators have experienced. Bear in mind though, people tend to talk about bad experiences more than they talk about the good ones. If possible, arrange for a day where your drivers can actually get in and on the trucks you're thinking about. Most dealers will be happy to do that for you. Ask other local and national companies to show you their setups. Most of them will be happy to show you around. But if you feel you can't do that, take a sneaky peek next time you see them around. If you can, visit trade shows and look at what different manufacturers and suppliers can offer. Above all, plan ahead. Not just three or six months, but as I said, in the current climate, think 12 to 18 months. If you're looking to buy secondhand, remember the old phrase, caveat emptor or buyer beware. I'm a great sceptic when it comes to buying secondhand. When I buy vehicles, I tend to keep them for a really long time, so I like to buy new. Because of that, I recognise my own bias. I'm always suspicious about the reasons why previous owners let that vehicle go. That's not to say that second-hand trucks can't be good value. You'll definitely save money on the as-new price, but please make sure you do a full check. Ask for the service records and get the vehicle inspected by an independent specialist. Someone with proper skills, not just Uncle Jimmy, who used to wash cars at the local lot when he was a kid. While I'm not saying that you can't or won't find a decent pre-owned truck, the current market is so distorted that second-hand vehicles are fetching as much, if not more, than the price of new units. Now, unless you buy a ready-built sanitation truck, you'll also need to deal with the cab and chassis as a separate transaction to the operating gear. By that, I mean the vacuum pumps and tanks, as well as the ancillary equipment like hoses and a tail lift. It really helps if you can map out what you intend to fit before you choose the cab and chassis. That way, you'll know what you can safely fit to keep the unit within its maximum compliance limits, notably the maximum weight, length, width and height when it's fully loaded. While you should plan for future growth and perhaps buy a bigger unit than you need today, you don't want to overspec and spend money on a vehicle that's actually far too big for anything you'll ever do. I've seen that happen and vehicles like that become a financial drag that don't generate enough revenue to pay their own way. Making sure that the vehicle you choose is fit for purpose is one of the most important things you can do to establish and preserve the safety of your operation on the road. If you cut corners and buy below spec, you'll inevitably put yourself, your staff and other road users at risk by trying to do too much with too little. You might save a few bucks today, but in the long term, you may find there's a heavy price to pay for such small short-term savings. 
I'd love to talk to a fabricator that specializes in the production of sanitation trucks and tanks. If that sounds like you and you'd like to appear on the show, please get in touch. Get Flush reaches a global audience and it provides a great opportunity to promote your business within the sanitation community worldwide. Similarly, if you've bought and sold a restroom truck recently and you'd like to share some of the lessons you learned, please drop me a line. My email is pete at getflush.online. Okay, that's all I'm going to cover this week. Honestly, it's great to be back. I'm Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. Thank you.